in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them fucking suckers like the f***ing players. The Washington Commanders reached out to every team to ask about trading their QB. Uh, they like Taylor Heineke. They want to upgrade. They have made this a point of emphasis at the Combine. Uh, unlike Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, they just say what the hell they want. and Like, yeah, we got to upgrade. <laughs> this guy This guy is not good enough. Um, how about this quote? All of this is why, according to a source, Washington has reached out to every team inquiring about a quarterback availability and the cost. Uh, started with a list of 42 are you telling me they called KC, Buffalo, Cincinnati, the Chargers, and asked if they would trade their quarterbacks? We They might have called the Packers, but the Packers aren't answering their phone. And, you know, did they call the Raiders? Uh, let me ask you this. I don't know if they called all those people. Like, hey, can you call, you call Andy Reid and say, would you like to trade your quarterback? What of, uh, because we're talking so much about Derek Carr, and I'm with Adam Candy here in the press box. We're talking about so much about Derek Carr and Josh McDaniel saying, oh, he's going to be our quarterback the opening day. I can't work, wait to work with him. Don't know about the extension. What's the market for Carr in your mind? Tyler and I have gone over and over in this on what we think the market is. And obviously, you don't want to say you don't like Carr. And obviously, you don't want to say they're not signing an extension because you lose all your juice. But what is the market if Washington calls for him right now? I mean, everything with the Derek Carr trade potential comes down to can you sign him to an extension? Because I don't think Derek Carr is going to be very happy being traded on that one-year deal that he has left to, to go somewhere. So right now, it, it's hard to believe that there is a team that wouldn't trade a first-round pick for Derek Carr. Uh, it might not be this year. You might have to get a 2023 pick to get it, but it sh- would shock me if a team weren't trading a first-round pick for a quarterback with the production of Derek Carr. And the reason I say that they would want it to be 2023 is obviously it's going to be a team that thinks that Derek Carr makes them a playoff team, and so that pick's going to be down somewhere in the 20s, as opposed to if they're a team that needs Derek Carr, they're probably picking somewhere higher than that right now. But, uh, Ed, the, the quarterback need is so great. The thirst is real in the NFL right. that I, I just don't see how the Raiders would let him go for less than a one. Do you think that they would? No, you have to include one. I mean, what is a one enough? Is a one and a three? Um, you know, look, we, I think, and I, you and I have talked about it, I think we both agree, top 12 quarterback in the league. Good quarterback. I mean, he, I don't know if he's a good enough quarterback to take them deep in the playoffs, but, I mean, is it two number ones? Is that too much for Derek Carr? Would you have to go a one and a three? Uh, you'd have to include a one for this guy. I think two ones is probably too far because you're not getting a guy who you have control over for any length of time, right? You're getting a guy that you're going to have to give a market value extension to. We just heard Ben Brown from both Football Focus tell us he thinks it'll be uh, somewhere in the range of $30 million a year for a Derek Carr extension, which is significant money. It's not the top, top tier in the NFL, but Derek Carr has every right to ask for that more considering how needy teams are and I want to bring bring it back to something Ben Brown said which was that you can't get Kirk Cousins money because one team was being against itself that's all it takes is one team betting against itself and someone out there might want Derek Carr to that level so is two ones impossible 
It's not impossible. It's right. just not likely. I think you're looking at a first round pick with something lower attached to it. And then you're probably going to have to add two to three years to Derek Carr's contract. Next question. The Vegas Nighthawks have unveiled their uniforms inspired by owner Bill Foley's time at West Point. The front of the names and numbers, the striped patches on the sleeves and the golden wings on the shoulders. The helmets, I believe, are going to have some of that gold chrome from the VGK. I'm not a fan of the chrome helmets. Uh, I know they, they, they played with them against San Jose the other night. Maybe they're just going to play with them against bad teams. I don't think they played with them last night. And, of course, they lose 5-2. to two. Are you a jersey guy? Have you seen these Nighthawks uniforms, and what do you think? Oh, am I a Jersey guy? Or is that not what you were talking about? No, no. I know you're oh, from back right. I know you're from back Oh, okay. Not, I, I, not I, I, that I type of Jersey guy. I have to preface with I'm not a Jersey guy. Oh. It drives Bischoff crazy. They might as they could play in tank tops for all I care. I really don't care. But he's very much a Jersey guy. I don't know if you've seen these from, oh, the, uh, from the Nighthawks, and what do you think? I mean, Foley, I'll tell you one thing about Foley. If if he can get an army if he can get an army uh, uh, depiction in there that's coming, dude. I'm not like a Jersey guy to the point where I'm concerned about is this something I'm going to buy. I mean, I look at it and I evaluate it against everybody else, but I look at the Golden Knights from and the Golden Knight Night Hawks. I don't know whatever you want to call. Them. Uh, Bill Foley's consistent, right? You just said Bill Foley will find a way to wedge it in. I don't like VGK's jerseys. That's just me. really well. No, I, don't. I, 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 don't I don't like know which ones they're playing with most of the time. They're oh, more right. colors than gray. Every time I look out, there's a new color. No, the the, the grays are terrible. Um, I, I can live with the whites. The golds. I mean, look, the mustard jerseys are fine in person when you can actually see the gold reflecting. Um, on TV, it it just looks like they're sponsored by Goldens. Uh, I, I can't <laughs> can't really get behind it. So the best jerseys in Vegas, and this is cheating because they've only been here a couple of years, but it's obviously the Raiders. The Raiders have one of the best jersey schemes in all of sports. You can't get around that. Um, but elsewhere in Vegas, you know who it is? It's the Aces. Oh, I, I love was just going to go to the Aces. I love those jerseys, and I'm not a jersey guy. No, you, you don't have to be a jersey guy. It's a great logo. It's a great name. Yeah. Like the, the the aces got it right all around, um, and just be careful because if Bill Foley ever buys them, makes oh, them no. the, the, the night aces or something like that, God only knows what it's going to look like. Man, you know that's a great question. John ja Morant, as exciting as he is, well, he made a mistake in his own mind. Uh, after the fifty-two point game the other day, John ja Morant, he was wearing custom Kobe sixes, uh, unique and uh, custom shoes. He walked off the court. A random fan said, can I have your shoes? And he regrets it. He gave it away. I'm sick I gave them up. I wasn't thinking my head was all over the place. All right. Adam Candy scores 52. And he's got these Kobe uh, custom sixes on. And he's walking off the court. And someone yells, hey, Adam, can I get those? Do you give them up? Are you kidding? Yeah, of course see, I give them up. I, see, I give it's them about up, the fans, too. It's yeah. my fans. And here's the thing for John Morant, a guy in his third year in the league. You're going to score 50 again. It won't be the last time. And I think Nike will probably hook you up with a new pair of custom whatever you want. So don't worry about it. You'll you're, you'll be good. You'll be good. Now, that being said, he talks about being sick about it. Ed, this is something you have. You have a son of this age. Oh, the shoes they're attached he loves. To, yes. They're attached to sneakers in a way that yes. I, I don't know that I still am. He still gets shoes to this day. I don't know where he orders them. Purple ones, blue ones, gold ones, yellow ones. And you're right. Kids of that age are so attached to sneakers. Now, I don't know how old this person was that he gave them to. Um, 
I guess they were one of a kind, these custom Kobe 6s. But I'm with you. I think John Morant could uh, somehow finagle another pair out of somebody if he really, really wanted them. Uh, and I, I'm glad he gave up. I'm I'm totally with you. If someone yells, I scored 52. I'm on top of the world. The way John Morant's playing right now. Someone wants the shoes. Because here's the thing. I want to know what you think about this. Like, I feel horrible saying no. Like, I would feel like, okay, here I am, the superstar. And I'm saying, no, you can't have my shoes. Like, I might regret it later because I love the Kobe 6s. And it's, you know, it's Kobe and all of that and, and what they mean. But I would just feel bad saying no of what the person would think of me. Yeah, I think you probably have to play it cool at that point, pretend like you didn't hear them and just keep walking. Because <laughs> if, if you look at them and go, no, that that is going to be a viral social media thing. <laughs> yes. John Morant yes. screams at fans, right? Like, yeah, that guy's a jerk. Yeah. yeah, I think the other piece of the equation here is if you're John Morant, those shoes are one piece of your giant memorabilia room. True. If you're the person who got those shoes, that is up on a pedestal. It is hanging in front of my front door to show everybody, these are my John Moran Kobe 6s. Great question. Thank you. Will the Titans use A.J. Brown like San Francisco uses D uh, Debo Samuel? Here's Mike Vrabel. I get it. I'm just as curious of what the 49ers do with Debo, and I watch and I see the runs that they give him. A lot of these skill sets are driven. In conversations with AJ to date, the focus is on making him a better receiver and then expanding what he does for us. Not to say he couldn't or he won't, but I don't know that he's going to have 100 carries or whatever Debo had. Our, our team's now going to chase this next Debo Samuel. Is this the guy everyone wants? And how realistic is it that he's out there right now? Oh, I'll argue the premise in the first place. I think they're chasing the next Cordero Patterson. Okay. Uh, because Cordero Patterson was doing this... Uh, it could have been for years, but was doing this at the same time that Debo Samuel was. And I think Cordero Patterson's a more realistic comp because Debo Samuel is a guy who can not only be that elite receiver, but also run the football. I'm not sure that other wide receivers necessarily have that skill set, right? I don't think you can just plug and play an A.J. Brown and say he can do the same thing. But what you know is that Cordero Patterson can be a really good running back and a so-so wide receiver. I think that's a skill set you can replicate better than Debo Samuel, but you just asked the question, are other teams going to try it? Of course they're going to try it. Sure. We're always looking for the next everything. Yes. Remember when we were talking about the Wildcat and everybody was going to run the Wildcat, yep. and then it took defensive coordinators like one off season to figure out how <laughs> figure to stop out the, the Wildcat, wild and we never saw it again. That's a great, great question. We both remember him as the UNLV quarterback, Armani Rogers, now 6'5", 225, the former quarterback who's converting to a tight end. I uh, saw a clip here. It was his second route he ever ran and practiced his entire life. Uh, and yeah, he looked pretty good. Uh, he brand new, brand new to the position. Big guy. We saw he was athletic at UNLV. I hope it works for him. I hope it works out for him. I don't know if it will. Uh, he's got size. He's a, a fast guy. Does this work out? And what do you think about our money? He obviously knew it wasn't going to work as a quarterback. So he said, you know what? I'll put on some pounds and I'll try to be a tight end. Uh, welcome to the annual can that player who used to play this position play that position in the NFL, especially with quarterbacks who are not going to show an NFL skill set to get it done. Uh, UNLV fans, if you're of a certain age, you're probably thinking Jason Thomas right now. Um, can it work? Yeah, of course it can work. Uh, do I think it can work in time for Armani Rogers to be a serious prospect this April? Probably not. It's probably the sort of thing where you're going to have to give the guy some time maybe you bring him in as a low round draft pick or maybe even just as an undrafted free agent and see if he can handle it but i don't think this is the sort of thing that turns in anything immediately for armani rogers but ed we we do know from his time at unlv the running skill set 
the after the catch has always been there. Next last, last one here for you. Uh, John Hyman saying a third of Major League Baseball potential suitors for Carlos Correa. Uh, Yankees called on Correa before the lockout. Likelihood is unclear. It seemed like Corey Seager was higher on the wish list. That surprises me. Um, Corey uh, Correa is seeking more than what Seager got, who got 330 uh, from Texas. Uh, out of the potential fits, look at all. Well, we know who these are. Atlanta, Cubs, Dodgers, Angels, Houston, Toronto, Detroit, San Francisco, St. Louis, Boston. Most of those with money. That's 11 teams is this Carlos Correa's agent just trying to build up the market? He wanted, I know he wanted more than uh, Seager got, but you're talking 330 to 325 right now. Where does he fit, do you think? First of all, we can go ahead and scratch the Angels off that list, considering yes, what Artie we just Moreno. heard from Artie Moreno. Pinching his pennies, he's not uh, going to add anything else for Mike Trout. You're going to take what you have and you're going to like it. Uh, yeah, you're right, Ed. This is totally Correa's agent building things up. Can Money-wise, can he get more than Seager? Absolutely, he can. He's the youngest of those free agent shortstops, and that extra year of prime is something that some team is going to pay for. Uh, the Yankees wanted Seager because the Yankees wanted the left-handed bat versus the right-handed bat. My, my read on this is completely selfish, has nothing to do with baseball, has everything to do with me. I can't root for Carlos Correa. I really hope oh, the Yankees right don't there. do this. I'm right there with you. Do, unless he's a are like, are like, Ed, neither of us want to have to do this, no, right? Like, no. neither of us want to no. have to root for this guy after what he did in Houston with the no. sign stealing and the bull. I'm with you there. Uh, and if he's on the opening day roster, you know I'm going to be standing in the house uh, screaming for him to hit a home run. All right, when we come back, UNLV basketball. We know who they're going to play in the Mountain West tournament. Probably a better matchup than what would have been. Back after this. Stay with us at 845. We're going to give away more tickets. We're going to give NASCAR tickets away, and we're going to announce the winner of the AMC Awards, uh, ACM Awards at Allegiant Stadium. We have a winner, and uh, we'll announce that at 845. It's Ed, Adam Candy, and Danny. Uh, we were at uh, – I was at um, Senior Night the other night, and two things that stood out. Jordan McCabe did not take part in Senior Night, Adam. Uh, that pretty much says that he's going to come back and apply for the COVID-19 uh, waiver which is available to all student-athletes because the pandemic. Bryce Hamilton was there with his parents, told us the day before, I can't believe uh, this is probably my last day in the Thomas Mack Center. Makes sense. He's been there four years. I don't know if he could do anything better for his draft stock right now. I've always thought he's more of a um, second-round pick, and you know, if he has good workouts, he can get in the second round. Let's start with Bryce Hamilton. Uh, out of shoes, he's 6'2". Um, I think we always, you know, efficient defensively. He's always had needed some help passing, but he did prove himself this year to be a better three-point shooter in the past. Is there a place for him? I think there's a place for him to make money professionally. Is there a place for him if he'd be a three-point specialist in the league, or is this going to be a tough thing for a 6'2 guard? It's the tweener size that's going to really come yeah. back to haunt Bryce Hamilton because in terms of him going out into the draft process last year, getting feedback, coming back and improving on it, he's done everything that he needed to do, right? He is a better three-point shooter, or at least has been for the last half of this season. We've seen his handle improve. We've seen him handle double teams better. The passing has gotten better for Bryce Hamilton. And we've seen that when Bryce Hamilton needs to take over a game for UNLV, it's less of terrible hero ball shots right. and more of getting good looks, getting downhill, and being able to distribute if he's cut off. So if something is going to stop Bryce Hamilton, it's going to be the size. I do think he's an NBA draft prospect. I do okay. think he's a guy that someone should bring in and give a look to. I don't think he's ever a 25-minute-a-game guy in the NBA, but I do think the skill set is there because what we've seen consistently 
is that he can get downhill. Now, can he get downhill against NBA size guards consistently is the question that we'll have to figure out as the draft process moves along here. Uh, really, really good kid. I think we'd both agree. Great character kid. Uh, and I, I, you know, Menzies, it was funny. Uh, Marvin Menzies, I talked to last week for my column and he said, I didn't like him after I first saw him. And he goes, he was an acquired taste. Um, uh, he, one of his assistants was the lead recruiter, Eric Brown. He said, no, no, keep looking at him. Marvin went back two or three times. He said, okay, I like him, met the family and brought him in. Uh, I, I think, you know, you know, he, he went up and down from freshman to sophomore to junior to senior um, but I do think, like you said, he got progressively better this year, and I just I would like good things to happen for him, and I, th- I think you agree, uh, did it the right way. It's like Kevin Kruger said the other day, if you don't like him, there's something wrong with you, uh, doesn't step out of bounds when talking to people, very respectful. And here's the other thing, which I think uh, should not be underplayed. Bryce Hamilton's going to graduate in May with a degree in sociology. I think that's another reason he came back, to get his degree. I think his parents wanted him to do that, and I think both of us agree that we want good things for the kid. Uh- Look, Bryce Hamilton has treated this program, frankly, better than this program has treated Bryce Hamilton. Yeah. They gave Bryce Hamilton three head coaches over his time at UNLV. I actually stumped a friend of mine who follows Mountain West basketball pretty closely. I texted him the other day and said, by the way, do you remember who recruited Bryce Hamilton to UNLV? Yeah. And having to go back to Marvin Menzies is a real statement on the instability that UNLV had during his time. So. Bryce Hamilton gave this program everything that he could, and he gave them a a final season here that has something that still could turn into a little run, the Mountain West tournament, based on what we saw against Wyoming just the other night. Ed and Royce Ham and Webster having the kind of games that they had when Hamilton and uh, Donovan Williams combined for 20 points tells me that it's not just Bryce Hamilton if UNLV can keep this moving forward. Uh, it appears, and this is a very strange tiebreaker this year, San Diego State's going to play one less game than everyone else. So instead of win percentage, they're going to go, because it's an uneven number of games, they're going to go the number in the loss column. Well, Wyoming and San Diego State, Wyoming can only tie San Diego State now with five losses if uh, San Diego State would lose and Wyoming would win on Saturday. So it appears that the 4-5 or five game is set with Wyoming and, and, and UNLV. I don't know if it's a better path. Uh, had they been the sixth seed UNLV, their path would have been San Jose State, likely CSU if the seeds went out in San Diego State, who I just don't think that's the matchup they want. We've seen this over and over again. Uh, no matter how well they're playing now, that matchup doesn't seem to work out for them. Their path now uh, is to a five-seed Wyoming, Boise, and potentially San Diego State. Um, I think it's a harder path, but uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you saw the Wyoming game the other night. Um Defensively, uh, no one was no one was uh, uh, great on the Wyoming side of things. Um, do you like this path, or did you do you agree that San Diego State would not have been a good matchup and Wyoming's better one? No, I'm going to be real honest about this. When you laid out the path in our rundown, and I was looking at what it realistically would look like for UNLV, I thought that is a way way better path than what they're going to end up with here. Now, that being said, the first game against Wyoming, um, I think we saw in that game earlier this week that there are a couple things in UNLV's favor. One, there is not a single person on Wyoming who can defend Bryce Hamilton individually. They're going to have to double him, and they did. They were aggressive doubling him. He was great in terms of finding the open guy. They have to keep hitting shots the way that they did, getting three triples out of Royce Ham and having Webster perform the way that he did made it possible for UNLV to win that game. Now, that being said, the Boise matchup, look, I know they've played Boise tight a couple of times this year, 
I think Boise has the personnel to defend Bryce Hamilton better than Wyoming. The other piece of that game, Ed, and tell me what you thought about the way that this went down. I don't like to get into the refs, but Wyoming was a team that needs Graham Ike to be able to get to the foul line. Yes. To be able to function. And Vern Harris and his crew the other night basically said, uh, Graham, show us blood or a bone sticking right. out and you can go to the line. Otherwise, we're going to let you and LV bang you around all night. And that could change, you know, depending on the crew, you're exactly right, next Thursday. And if that changes, that could spill trouble for the Rebels. Um, much like next year where they're going to have to, you know, replace 20, 24 points, 25 points a night. Uh, Donovan Williams, since returning from the injury, has not been, um, you know, what he was before, five points, eight points, four points, 17, five. How important is Donovan Williams here to get back on it? You know, I think you could put any name into that second scorer spot, Ed. I really do think that Donovan Williams is the most likely for UNLV. Um, but when you're getting what you got out of the rest of the roster, then I don't know that it has to be Donovan Williams night in, night out when it comes to the Mountain West tournament because UNLV just needs the open player when Bryce Hamilton mm -hmm. has the ball taken out of his hands mm -hmm. to be able to hit shots. Now, it could get dangerous if Bryce Hamilton gets into foul trouble, uh, but you're going to face that in any game. So I don't know that UNLV has another one-on-one -on -one player. Donovan Williams hasn't been good. The numbers bear it out. We don't know if he's fully healthy or not either. So I think UNLV just needs to say, look, do it the way you did it against Wyoming. Hit open shots when open shots are there, no matter who the player is. Good stuff there. We'll watch next week again. It appears to be set of Wyoming and UNLV because of the weird tiebreaker this year. San Diego State won less game. They are at four losses. Wyoming is at five. If they both end at five, Wyoming is going to have to take the uh, four spot, it appears, which would be against UNLV. All right, when we come back, we'll get back to the Vegas Golden Knights. Dave Shane, great beat writer of the Las Vegas Review Journal, is on deck. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Well, we're getting shots. I mean, we're not not getting shots. I mean, you look at the shot totals we've had over the last however many games. We're getting pucks to the net. It's just it seems like we're one and done in the O-zone. We can't create, like, momentum with shift after shift. It's like we have a shift, and they get the puck out, and then we're playing in our end. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like we're not able to build momentum in our O-zone. I don't know, you know, exactly what it is. I think we're all trying to find it right now. Coming back there with Jack Geico last night, 5-2. Uh, Vegas night goes down to Boston. Please be joined now, though. Follow him on Twitter at David Shane LVRJ, terrific beat writer for the Las Vegas View Journal on your Golden Knights. Can Jack Geico and the Golden Knights beat anyone who are good? It doesn't seem like it right now. <laughs> uh, what, the last two against the Sharks? Nothing against yes. the Sharks, but, uh, yeah, it seems like a little bit of a paper tiger right now, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, it's a good, it's good news, I guess. And Adam had uh, the stats earlier that they do, they don't place. I guess they don't play a lot of playoff level teams here these next twenty five, twenty four. So that seems to be good news. But again, and we know who's hurt. We've heard about the injuries. We get that. If Dave Shane's Pete DeBoer, what's happening offensively in the most part of it? Well, I mean, there's a whole lot of different things, and I mean, as a coach. The hard part is when guys are a slump, like what do you do as a coach to kind of get them out of it? Because and that's just really what it is. Like some of these numbers are, I don't want to say staggering, but, you know, I kind of went through it here before. Nicholas Law has no goals fifteen in his last 15 games. 
Yanmark had no goals in his last 15 games before he got hurt. Uh, Dodonov has no goals in his last 15 games, and beyond that is no points in his last 14. Like, he doesn't even have a secondary assist playing on the top line. Like, that's the other thing, too, and, and I'm sure we can get all into this and whatever, but, like, you know, I, I've tried to defend Dodonov, you know, for much of the season, and I don't have a whole lot left that I can use you know, in his favor, like he's getting chances in, on the top line. It's not like he's getting buried, you know, in the bottom six and doesn't have line mates. Like he's been given every opportunity, you know, to to do what he was brought in to do, and he hasn't done it, you know. And then even somebody like William Carlson has no goals in his last eight, one in his last 14. So there's a whole lot of stuff in the forward position, but I'll throw one more at you without trying to be, you know, Tyler and numbers guy here. And if I'm going to adjust something and look at something, Golden Knights made a you know a big thing about the defensemen jumping into the play and how they were such a big part of the offense. And they have no goals from their defense in the last eight, and it's been nothing but like a handful of assists, eight assists in those last eight games. So if there's anything in an adjustment, you know what can they do? Is maybe activating the defensemen a little more and trying to figure out how to get some offense from that back end. Dave, we saw them try to do that last night. It didn't really work out uh, particularly well. Boston counterpunched against them pretty well. You point out both forwards and defensemen and the needs for this team from a lot of different areas. Is the trade deadline a realistic avenue for this team to do anything, or is the cap situation just too bad? No, it's realistic. And let me go back all just because just I want to counter a little bit of what you said. I think it was, it was the transition came from the neutral zone turnovers, especially early. You know, that in the, in the first yeah. period, I think a little bit more. So I, I don't think it was so much, you know, getting caught up ice and giving up two on ones and, and things like that in terms of activating the defensemen. But, you know, a little bit of just, you know, here or there, same difference, so to speak. Uh, uh, just to go back to your question, trade deadline. Yeah, I think at this point, especially, it's in play. Like this team needs something. It, I don't know what, whether it's a shakeup trade wise or, or something different, but. It, there needs to be some kind of jolt for this team to wake up. You can't force Alec Martinez into the lineup, you know, but th- there needs to be an addition. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't looked exactly at the, the numbers on Cap Friendly and Puckpedia, but, you know, when when I looked before, when, when the whole thing was like, you know, how do they get Eichel, you know, onto the roster, they have to trade somebody. They, they had like 5 point, or it was like 4.89 bank, I think so. There's a little bit of wiggle room for them to do something here, and especially, you know, with Mark Stone out, with Alec Martinez out, you know, there's some long-term IR things that they can do, and I definitely think they're looking at something they've never sat still before. So why sit still now when, you know, as we speak, if you look at, you know, points percentage and not points, Gold Knights are out of the playoffs right now. Like Dallas is ahead of them, you know, if it was points percentage. So. You know, something has to happen here in the next few weeks. And, and if it's a trade, yeah. You ha- you can only have one position to bring in. Who do you bring in? As far as a position or a player? Not a pl- Well, you can go both, but if you, blue line, or do you think, you know, depth scoring, like what you can only bring in one type of player, what is needed most? If if it continues with Alec Martinez and you have no idea when he's coming back. I want somebody who is an absolute pain in the A. Okay. They don't have any sandpaper. They have they're not hard to play against. They made a sacrifice this year in changing their bottom six to try to make it more skilled. 
and to try to get a little more offense out of it. And you know what? It's worked a little bit, and, and fair play to, to Pete DeBoer early in the season. You know, they got some timely goals from some depth guys, and that was the trade-off. You know, Brett Howden's been a, a fantastic addition. I mean, he's almost outscoring the Donov and William Carlson right now, like different, you know, amount of games for some of those guys. But, I mean, his production has been, you know, fantastic for, you know, for the investment that they put in him. But there's nobody down there that's just a pain in the butt to play against. There's nobody that will just do something to spark a team. And it's just felt like the last handful of games, you know, I go back to L.A., Arizona, and, you know, I wrote about this. If anybody was listening to the press conference, I was asking about this last night. There have been a handful of games where they've had two points right in front of them, and they've failed to get it. You know, they got one in L.A., and they were lucky to get it because of a goalie. You know, they didn't get it done in Arizona. They coughed up a lead against Colorado. Okay, granted, it's Colorado, you know. But last night, it felt like everything should have been there for a big push in the third period. And, you know, they hit a bar in the, early on. They had a power play. And then, as far as I'm concerned, it just went dry after that for the most part. Credit to Boston, but they just need somebody who is going to spark this team, get them ignited, and, and it just feels like they're not hard enough to play against right now. So, Dave, then essentially what are you trading for Ryan Reeves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny, and not to spin this, but it's very interesting to hear the uh, conversation in New York about Ryan Reese and the people that love him, and then the annex- analytics people that point out he hasn't done squat and this and that. And so, you know, I, I don't, it, it's funny, and yes, but I do, I'm old school. I'm a dinosaur. I'm a knuckle dragger. I'm perfectly willing to admit it. And, and I do think as long as hockey allows guys to bump into each other, then it's on some level it comes down to who's got the baddest dude on the ice. I'll give you an example. There's a guy in Nashville right now named Tanner Janot, or Janot, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I apologize, I probably should. He's a dark horse rookie of the year guy. He's got like 18 goals last time I looked. But you know what he's also doing? He's punching a lot of people in the face, and nobody wants to get around him. And it's changed that team because all of a sudden there's a physical element in Nashville. And... I'm not saying that's easy to find, you know, but the Knights don't have that. They they need somebody who can just be an agitator and a pest and, you know, be able to chip in offensively, too. The, again, those guys are rare. They tried to find it with Nick Cousins. It, you know, sort of worked. I mean, they didn't resign him. But, you know, to me, that's just – that's what's lacking right now is just, you know, I, I don't – I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go so far as to say it's a ten-man team and no heart right now, but it it's starting to feel like that a little bit. Dave Shane with us does a great job for the Review Journal as their beat writer, the lead beat writer, and the Golden Knights. Follow him on Twitter at David Shane L V R J. Okay, I know you love to talk uh, power play systems. What's happening with that? It goes all the way back to last year. Give the listeners some idea. In, in maybe in a simplistic manner of what is wrong with the power play. I think a lot of people read your stories and see two for 33. See DeBoer says we have to get more uh, um, power play goals. Eichel, we're one and done. Like, what to the average hockey fan is wrong here? Why are they so poor at the power play? I mean, it's hard to do it. I'll, I'll try to do it for the average fan in terms of this. I don't think there's a quarterback. I think okay. Eichel is supposed to be right now. That's what he was brought in for. Uh, 
But all of the best power plays run through someone. There's a planet. You know, in Tampa, it's Kucherov on the right wall and, and you know, using point in, in that bumper spot in the middle, which is where Dodonov is on the power play. For, for however many years, especially since, you know, Pete DeBoer's come in, and I know they've used this formation before, but that 1-3-1 one, one with that bumper spot in the middle, they just don't know how to use it. It's a dead spot, and, and it's a non-factor. He's not a shooting threat there at all. So if it's me, I'm changing the formation. But, you know, further than that is just, you know, again, the best power plays have somebody that run it, whether it's a, you know, a point man, you know, a Tory Krug for, for many years in Boston. You know, John Carlson's really good in Washington. Uh, you know, Roman Yossi right now in Nashville. Like, as good as Shea Theodore is, he walks the blue line and he shoots. Like, he's not quarterbacking it back there. It doesn't go to him, and then he throws a diagonal pass that unlocks a defense and gets a power play, or excuse me, a penalty kill, you know, all scattered. They just don't move the puck that way. So for me, at least, until Eichel gets, you know, Pacioretty in the right circle, kind of firing pucks from his passes, and Mark Stone, you know, working down the goal line, like there's just not a whole lot of options for him. And, and the other thing is, you know, they relied a lot on Alec Martinez, on the second unit to just rock and fire from that right circle a lot. He's not there. Uh, they haven't used really Nick Hague in that spot. It's just sort of missing, you know, from that second unit. They, I mean, the biggest thing to me for a long time was personnel. I just didn't think they had really good power play personnel. And I think Eichel will eventually, you know, fix that. But, you know, right now I think it's a combination of just they don't have guys who are, you know, really equipped for it skill-wise, and, and then I just think formation-wise, what they're doing doesn't fit with the personnel either. At the other end of the ice, Dave, uh, what do you make of Robin Leonard uh, kind of popping off funny about Frank Saravalli being his doctor when being asked in the press conference about you know what he's doing to manage his injury situation, etc. It's the NHL. It's the Golden Knights. We know nothing about the actual extent of injuries, but what do you make of Robin Leonard at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting, and I think he clearly wanted to get that joke off. Like, he was waiting for that opportunity to take that shot um, at, at Frank Saravelli, and, and certainly did twice. Um, I think what was interesting, though, is that he never really answered the question. Like, in terms of his injury, in terms of, you know, he said he didn't have surgery, he said he's fine, but, like, you know, he never really acknowledged you know, the extent of it, you know, is it going to affect him or anything like that? So I don't know. I mean, with this team, with him, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, when the season ends, we get a press release that says Robin Leonard undergoes, you know, X surgery or whatever. Like, it very well may be something that he's going to have to play through and he's just going to, you know, grit his teeth and, and go. Uh, I think if that means that you, you see a little bit of, you know, more brossois down the stretch here, uh, so be it. If they have to, you know, manage his, you know, Robin Leonard's minutes a little bit, so be it. You know, the biggest thing is one, get to the playoffs, and and then two, make sure that he's healthy for it. But they're in a dogfight right now, and you know, if he's anywhere, you know, not close to ninety, hundred percent, and and can't give, you know, what he needs, then, you know, the Knights really need to look at the trade deadline or just, you know, figure something out in that regard. I'll give him the benefit of, uh, excuse me the 
benefit of the doubt that he, you know, if he's back and he's healthy, so he didn't have surgery, he's good to go. You know that he needed some rest and he can play through it. But you know, look, I also know Frank Saravelli is very well sourced, and I have no reason to really, you know, doubt him in that regard. So, you know, we'll, I guess in that sense, we'll kind of see how it plays out. But you know, Golden Knights. I think bottom line is they can't afford a less than healthy Robin Leonard right now. Nobody covers the team better. Follow him on Twitter at David Shane LVRJ, Dave, LVRJ, Dave Shane from the Review Journal. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate the time. Great stuff as usual. Yeah, you got it. You got me uh, rocking and rolling this morning. There you <laughs> go. Firing away at these guys. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Uh, have a good one. Take care. All right. Big news. ACM Awards. We put uh, uh, people in here win for this award. They won the Subway Sandwiches, put their names in the hat. We have a winner, Roger Jane. Roger Jane, you have won the two tickets to the ACM Awards. We're going to call you later to get you those tickets. Congratulations on that. Now, another giveaway. How about NASCAR? Two tickets to the Pennzoil 400, Sunday, March 6th. Two tickets for NASCAR for the Pennzoil 400. We'll take Caller 400. No, Danny, I wouldn't do that to you. Caller 14 for NASCAR, 702-364-1100. Caller 14, 702-364-1100 if you want to go to the race this weekend. It's only .net. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Congratulations to Courtney. She won the two tickets for the Pennzoil 400 Sunday, March 6th. Courtney will be contacting you for the tickets. Uh, Courtney's pretty stoked, wasn't she? Had her NASCAR shirt on, Courtney. She was very excited. There you go. Good job. Uh, Back with Adam Candy. Before we get to this story about the Colts and the uh, OT uh, proposal, I just want to get your thoughts real quick because I thought Dave said a lot of interesting things like he usually does on the Golden Knights on what they need more than anything, maybe some grit and uh, uh, some punch-in-the-face attitude down on their bottom six. Um, are there, like he said, and, and, and to also add a, you know, a little offense on the end, which you know, Reeves couldn't, do you think there's a lot of guys like out there? Do you have to, do you have to really search for guys like that? And what did you think about his um, you know, opinion on what they need on this team? First of all, Spicy Dave Shane is yes, my yes. favorite Dave, Dave Shane. Shane. Exactly. Oh man, <laughs> he he definitely poured a little bit of the hot sauce on it today, and I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I I can't disagree from a perspective of watching this team play every night that there isn't necessarily that sort of grinder who is getting in people's phases. I don't know that it has to be a forward, though. Um, I understand that he doesn't like the remake of the bottom six to go more towards skill than toward having that, you know, really heavy Carrier, Noshek, Reeves kind of line. I think it can be in the defense core. I think you can upgrade from having to throw the Ben Huttons of the world out there every night uh, and try to get someone who can be a little grittier in front of the net, uh, in front of your own net. Uh, If it's in front of the opponent's net, sure. Go for it, but you have to weigh that against what you tend to give up overall in terms of offensive skill in a player like that. Now, Ed, overall, we talked about the health of Robin Leonard, and that has to be a number one for the Golden Knights in figuring out what they do with the trade deadline. Because if they know behind the scenes that Robin Leonard isn't 100%, you cannot take this roster that you have maxed out to go for the Stanley Cup this year and roll into the playoffs with Laurent Brassois and Logan Thompson as your options in case Robin Leonard's injury situation gets worse. Totally agree. Um, and the Cervelli, and here's the thing about the Cervelli uh, report, as Dave said, it wasn't, hey, you know, he, he it was more he needs surgery, and if that 
proves to be the point, then I'm not going to discount the report. I do think Cervelli uh, at times is too close to Alan Walsh, and we know how Alan Walsh feels about the Golden Knights and Leonard. I don't know if that's where it came from. I'm not going to suggest that totally, but I think you know Cervelli does a little of that. And yet, uh, man, Robin Leonard, he was waiting for it, wasn't he? he? Robin Leonard is awesome in the fact that he doesn't make it a point to deny or ever say he doesn't read stuff. He doesn't make it a point to deny that he says he doesn't listen because I think most of these guys do. But he's out there publicly proving that he not only listens and reads, he has a lot to say about it, and I love his opinions. I think that for a guy like... Robin Leonard, who's very open about his mental health, who's very open about how he sees issues around the league. I, I think, you know, the same way we used to say, honey, badger, don't give a F. Right. Neither is Panda. Right. He, he really, he doesn't. And good for him in that regard. I actually, to, to the point you just made, and I said um, on another program on this network just yesterday, uh, have we ever seen Frank Saravalli and Alan Walsh in the same place at the same time? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe Alan Walsh doesn't want to use the Twitter account uh, to put everything out there anymore because, you know, the first suggestion of the potential Marc-Andre Fleury reunion felt like the real bombshell. And if that is coming from someone closely associated with Alan Walsh, um, it's kind of amazing considering yes. the acrimony around yes. that divorce. Uh, quickly, really wanted to ask you, Colts submitted a proposal to guarantee each team a, a OT possession, according to the league source. If approved, the rule would change, applied to regular and postseason. We know what happened in Kansas City and Buffalo. Uh, your quick reply on this, does this have any chance of passing where each team would have an OT possession? I'm for it. I like it. I just don't know if the owners will pass it. Let me ask you a question back first. Why do you like it uh, as a change to the OT rules? Just because how the Kansas City game ended. I just wanted them to keep playing. And I know See, I know that's just I one like that. game. I get that. I get that. I, yeah. I it was just one game, but I just wanted it to keep. I wanted it to go on. No, and you know what? That that's an argument I can totally hear because that's an argument for fun, right? Like that's right, an argument right. saying this was a great game and let's just keep it going. Overall, my feeling is that people who think they're going to solve overtime need to stop trying to solve overtime. There is no right answer. There is no right answer. I don't mind the way overtime is right now because you know what? If you can play defense and you can make that stop, Good for you. Even if yes. you hold them to a field goal, that's still enough to get you the ball back and get an opportunity. So when do we start saying that only offense matters in terms of overtime? Right. Defense has to matter, too, in terms of overtime. No, you're exactly uh, I just I watched that game, Adam, and it was so incredible that it just felt it felt like the wind got knocked out of you when 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 uh, Josh Allen didn't get an attempt to come back with the ball and to come back and at least tie it. I just is it was so amazing. And maybe I shouldn't be basing everything on one game, but you're right. It was so fun. You wanted it to keep going. Not many games are like that. I don't even remember a game being like that that I've ever seen. Um, I don't know if the rule changes applied. I think they're I think they're very uh, you know cautious about these rule changes. I understand why they're cautious about rule changes because it affects so many things, right? It affects betting. It affects outcomes for teams that have invested their entire seasons in getting to the point that Kansas City and Buffalo did. But I would respond to anyone who didn't like the ending of Kansas City Buffalo and any Buffalo fan who didn't like the overtime rules to say 13 seconds, 13 seconds. You had to stop Kansas City from gaining 60 yards in 13 seconds. Do that and you're on your way to the Super Bowl.
Great stuff there. All right, when we come back, we're going to get back to the Raiders. Uh, does hand size really matter? And what about Reno quarterback Carson Strong? We've heard about Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter. What happened to the uh, Wolfpack quarterback? We'll get that and more. It's Ed, Adam, and Danny on a Friday here on the Press Box, ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM.